Hello, Big Valley. It is good to see you to gather in the house of God and to worship. If you have your Bibles, would you please turn them? We are in 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to pick up our preaching at verse 8. I've been pondering that first verse for a couple of weeks, and it says that the, the devil is prowling around like a lion looking for something to destroy. To devour. And so I did some checking, you, you know, with kind of the cultural sources that are out there. I know what we believe here in the church, but I did some digging around and trying to find out uh, this whole issue of evil and the devil and what do people think about it. And really, it's, it's pretty interesting. In our secular culture and in much of the world and even in some Christian circles, there's a lot of people that don't believe that the devil is a real and present being, that he, he, he doesn't exist, that evil is just the genetic process that's kind of gone awry on the edges of the genetic process there, and, and that, that we've, we've got to fix those things. Do you know who Vlad the Impaler was? He was the inspiration for Dracula. And Vlad uh, reigned in the area of Romania hundreds of years ago, and uh, he lived up to his moniker, the impaler. See, he would gather 500 to 1,000 people and murder them. And his favorite way of torture was to lower them on a shaft. And slowly, they didn't sharpen it, they oiled it, and it would slowly move up through the body of his victims as they writhed in agony and would slowly die, ever so slowly. And if he was feeling particularly bad that day, he would uh, also take a rope and tie it around the ankle of each of the victims. And while they were being impaled, that would be tied to a horse. And they would be ripped apart as they were impaled. But, you know, there's not evil in the world. It's just a genetic process gone awry. I bet a lot of you haven't heard of Leopold II, Leopold II of Belgium. Uh, when he was in power in Belgium, they uh, conquered or they were the colonial owners, if you will, of the Congo region in Africa in imperialism. Um, Leopold was responsible for the death of two million Congolese as he raped that land of its resources and murdered uh, people as he worked them to death. But, you know, there's, there's not really an evil presence in the world. It's just a genetic process gone awry. Of course, in our times, we would probably think of someone like Pol Pot. You know, Pol Pot, uh, The Killing Fields was the movie. I bet a lot of you have seen that movie. It was brutal. Uh, he was the communist ruler of Cambodia, and he wanted an agrarian communist society, you know, an agricultural society. And so he murdered one-third of the population of his country. All the teachers, the doctors, the lawyers... Everybody that was educated, everybody that was affluent were murdered because he wanted to have the people all just be peasant farmers. But Pol Pot just didn't take him out and shoot him in that movie, The Killing Fields. Uh, they, it, actually, when you're going to kill two million people, that's a lot of bullets. And so the majority, the great majority of those people were murdered. Uh, he would take them out, have them taken out to the fields, and they would be beaten with an axe handle or a hammer. And their skulls fractured, and then as they would collapse, 
and pass out, he would leave them there to die. Or they would use bamboo shafts and just impale them. He didn't want to waste the bullets. His army was too poor. One third of the country, two million plus people. But, you know, a lot of people out there think there's not really evil in the world. It's just a genetic process gone awry. All of us know about Adolf Hitler, or I would think we would. He's probably the most vilified guy in, in history. Uh, you know, 10 million people died because of him. Now, 6 million were Jews that were massacred. He wanted to eliminate the Jewish race, and so he had them gassed and then cremated. One by one, 6 million people. 10 million total when you count up all the Russians that were killed and uh, um, Americans and Brits and French and, and, and uh, the Germans on the German side. 10 million people dead. Yeah, it's just a genetic process. But, you know, actually, he wasn't the worst by far. It's a man named Joseph Stalin that implemented communism in Russia. In terms of pure numbers, some think he was responsible for up to 60 million people dying. You see, he would isolate whole sections of the country. They would not be allowed to farm or do anything and, uh, or bring any foods in. And he would starve off sections of the country as he wanted to get control and get his people in those places. Kind of makes Osama bin Laden look like a lightweight. And I don't say that to disrespect anyone that knows anyone that might have had a relative or someone that died in the towers or has served our country against that, that evil. My son has served a couple of tours, and so no disrespect there. But in terms of pure number, Osama bin Laden is just a drop in the bucket compared to some of the evil that has been perpetrated in this world. Yet we live in a culture that wants to dismiss evil. A friend of mine called this the methodical approach to the exercise of evil. That's what these guys were. Once they've embraced evil, the methodical approach to the exercise of evil. The Bible makes it clear that there's evil in the world. And it's not genetic coding gone awry. It's a spiritual presence as real as God. If you don't believe in Satan, really, this sermon probably isn't going to make much sense to you. You know, you're going to go, huh, whatever. If you don't believe in the devil, you're not going to get with what I'm going to say. But I'm going to challenge you a little bit more. I'm going to suggest to you that if you don't believe in Satan, you don't really need to have Jesus Christ as your Savior. You don't. Because if there's not that evil presence, that sin cause in this world, then it is a genetic coding that's gone awry. And you can fix that. You can eliminate all of that, and then you can be your own God. You see, the very presence of Satan is the authorship of evil in this world. And he comes hand in hand with our faith in Christ, is our understanding that the devil is a real being. Peter tells us in uh, chapter 5, verse 8, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Peter tells us we have an enemy and it's a very real, real presence we call Satan or the devil. Those words are interchangeable. And the secular culture has done a great job of convincing us that this is a myth. 
Or at the very least, he's masculating his power, making it into a joke. How many of you remember Flip Wilson? He just died recently, but how many of you remember Flip Wilson? Oh, yeah, you remember Flip Wilson? Then you will remember this short video clip. Watch this with me. She came in the house. She had the box. Rep saw it. Rep said, what, another dress? This is ridiculous. Three dresses in a week, another dress? And she tells him, I didn't want to buy this dress. <laughs> the devil made me buy this dress. <laughs> she said, I was going down the street. I was minding my own business, singing to myself. I said, what you said? <laughs> and the devil stopped following me, telling me how good I look. <laughs> Rev said, I'm not going for that. He said, because every time you do something wrong, you blame it on the devil. Every time you do something wrong, you blame it on the devil. That was very popular back in the 70s. I was a very young man back then and stuff. And we, we kind of, that was a catchphrase for us, you know. The devil made me do it. At this point, it became this very influencing thing in our culture. It made a joke out of the devil. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a little guy, man, the devil costumes were a lot more popular. I don't see as many today, but they were like a onesie. You know, I had the little red onesie with the thing over and the two horns, little pitchfork. <laughs> Trick or treat. Okay. And everybody, oh, look at that. He's such a cute little devil. We laughed at it. And, and in those ways, we emasculated the power of Satan. But Peter and the totality of Scripture make it clear that he is a reality. He is a reality. In Genesis 3.1, it says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman... Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Three chapters in, the creation story happens. The very next thing that happens, Satan. God creates the world and gets Adam and Eve together. And Satan, three chapters in, makes his appearance. And then in Revelation, well... Based on other texts, let me say this. Based on the other texts and stuff, we know that he's created and fallen from heaven. And as I thought about that, it kind of begged the question for me, why? I, I never really thought that much about this. Why did God allow him to exist? If he's fallen from heaven, if he's this angel that, 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 that has fallen from heaven, why not just smote him? Just wipe him out as soon as he rebelled against you, God. And let's move on and have a good, wor a good world and we won't have to worry about evil. And the truth is, we don't get the answer. Not back in Genesis. And in the New Testament, it says, the clay doesn't get to argue with the potter. And so it's not my intent today to enter into a philosophical argument, if you will, about Satan or evil. I can just look around the world, and I know that evil is real, and there's a presence behind it. I can read the scriptures, and I know the devil is real. I know it. In my knower. Revelation 27 said this. When a thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. 
And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Last book. Third chapter from the end. First book, three chapters in, he's created. Last book, three chapters from the end. He is defeated eternally and sent back to his home, hell. Satan is real. He's real, folks. That's, I want to make sure we're clear on that, that. We've got to recognize that, and we need to heed Peter's call to be on guard. Two things. One, recognize him. He's the world's greatest liar. John 8, said, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and a father of lies. We need to learn to recognize Satan. He is a liar. He's a deceiver. That's how he operates. There's some things we can know about him. I mentioned this before. He's a created being, first of all. It's not like we don't have a chance. He's a created being. Okay, he, he's, not, he's finite. He's not all-powerful as God is, and he's not omnipresent as God is. He's finite in his nature. But it doesn't mean that he's not powerful. He is powerful. And he does have spiritual allies, demons, if you will. Ephesians 6.10 makes that clear, and in several other parts of the Bible, it speaks of the demons in plural. So those are things we can see in him, but we, we can really have to pay attention to how he works. He's subtle. He loves to work in the shadows. He loves to reflect, the, kind of deflect the truth and, and to manipulate goodness to his desires, which is really to steal the joy of our salvation. That's what he lives for. Most of you know I'm a Colorado boy. I spent a lot of time in Colorado, and uh, um, winter sports is big there. And so we, we, you know, get to love the Winter Olympics and watching the Winter Olympics. And they have the downhill, you know, and the guys fly down the mountain at, you know, 80 mile an hour or whatever they're doing. And uh, they finish that. And, and I love the downhill. And you got the ski jumps where people leave a perfectly good planet to uh, fly 100 yards in the air over a pair of flimsy skis and land. I think they're nuts. Um, and, and then, but the guys that really get me are the ones that come and they, they, they jump, you know, they come down to ski and they jump and they just. <laughs> and then they ski down the mountain. I, I'm amazed that they can do that. But Jill and I have really kind of gotten into watching. This is the really, really good high action sport. Curling. Okay. <laughs> curling. Curling has become one of our faves to watch. On the Olympics, if you haven't seen curling, they, they take this. It's a granite stone. It weighs 16 pounds. It's called the rock. It's got a handle on the top. And, and it's, like, it's like bocce ball, but on ice. And you got the one guy there, and, and he takes the rock, and he comes down, and, and he, he slides the rock. He lets it go at about one or two miles per hour, and it starts to slide down this really fine ice thing. And it's got to get it in a circle. That's called the house. You got to get the rock in the house. And the object is, obviously, is get your rocks in the house or knock your opponent's rocks out of the house. Guy with the most rocks wins. Okay, that's basically curling. But the thing I like about it is the two guys, they're called the sweepers. 
Okay, you know the sweepers? You guys know who I'm talking about, the sweepers? These are the cool guys, because the rock's sliding down at one, two mile an hour, and they're right in front of it. They're sweeping like mad, and this guy over here, he's like, left, 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 more, 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 left, left, more. You know, and if, if you, you sweep the path right in front of it, it'll go faster. And if you sweep on one edge, you can make the rock curl. And when it curls, it'll move one way or the other. And that's how you guide the rock. But here's the thing. The sweepers, they never touch the rock. They influence the rock. They're just trying to get it to move a degree away from where it was going. I think that's the way Satan loves to work. He's a liar and he's an influencer. He, he doesn't touch. He's just out in front. Just one degree of separation. He wants to move us. We're on this path for the Lord. He just If he can get us a degree off, Take one degree off of your direction and, and go for a mile. You're a long ways off course. He's subtle. He loves to work in the shadows. He loves to tell you lies that sound so good. Hey, man, your wife doesn't appreciate you. You deserve better than that. Jeez, come on. I'm sure there's something better for, out, for you out there. Hey, young lady. Don't worry about that little text thing that you got going with the guy down in L.A. There's really nothing wrong with that. You're just friends. It's okay. Hey, you are underpaid. You work so hard. I can't believe your boss pays you what he pays you. Take the ream of paper for crying out loud. You deserve it anyway. You've earned it and he's underpaid you. Nobody will even know that ream of paper is gone. He tells you lies that sound so right. They sound so good. And finally, he likes to concentrate on strategic targets. And don't think that you're not a strategic target because the minute you start thinking you're not, you are. But I know that he loves to work in marriages. Man, when you blow up a marriage, you just hurt more than one person. Take down a whole group of people. And those of you that have been through tough marriages know exactly what I'm talking about. He loves to attack pastors. I believe that. Uh, we pray for Rick Countryman often, our elders, all of the staff, and he prays for us. We pray for one another. Man, would he love to get his hooks into Rick and bring him down because he could hurt a lot of people doing that. I'll tell you what, I'm really proud of our elders and our staff. We pray for the pastors in this town all the time, not just Big Valley, over at Shelter Cove and the Calvary Temple and Calvary Chapel and it crossed uh, cross point. A lot of the smaller churches around town were always praying for them that the evil one will not get in there. You got to recognize him because he's the world's greatest liar and he's out there and he's working. Don't think that he's not. Once you do, you're in trouble. If you start, stop ignoring him or start ignoring him. Or thinking that he's not there. Not only do you want to recognize him, you want to respect him because he's a dangerous enemy. A part of Colorado, right behind my house, just a quarter mile, half mile up the road there, was this open space, huge open space. It was called Green Mountain, hundreds of acres, and there wasn't any trees on it. Very interesting. All low shrub, you know, knee high, waist high shrub, and there was paths going all over the place that people could hike on. And uh, it was an open space, and that's what it was there for. No motorized vehicles, no nothing, just hiking and running. We'd have a great time. And I often exercise up there and run up to the top. That was when I was a lot younger. Run up to the top 
and uh, get a great view of the city of Denver. But every once in a while, every once in a while, I'd be, you know, running, running up the top or walking up the top and just, you know, uh, all of a sudden come up to a corner and there's some bushes here and whoa. I know what that is. That's a rattlesnake. See, they'd love to come out into the sun and then they would just find a spot by their bushes where they could get back to cover if they need to and they'd be there and you'd get close to them and they're rattling and you respect them. Not the kind of respect that brings honor but the kind of the respect that says that thing has power and it has the power to hurt me and so I'm going to avoid that as best I can. Satan's like that. He wants to strike, and he does have a rattle. I'm going to tell you about that in a minute. Ephesians 6.12 said, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world. That's Satan and his demons, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He, he is spiritual, but he operates in both realms. Listen, my friends, he's not a joke. He's not a pygmy in a red costume. Don't think you can ignore him and he won't come after you. He can and he will. Let your guard down. Many of you have probably already found this out the hard way. Now, there is a flip side to this whole thing of kind of ignoring and denying the existence of the devil. Uh, I didn't mean a pun by using the flip side. On the flip side to this reality is to, to blame everything on him. There's others that think that Satan does everything, okay? I got up this morning and I stubbed my toe, you know. Ah, Satan did that. The devil. Man, he's terrible. I don't think Satan's behind the price of gasoline going up to four fifty and up to $5 a gallon. I don't. He, doesn't, he might not be behind every little thing there, but he takes just as much joy in people that are fixated on him as he does on people that ignore him. Because if you're just totally fixated on him, you're not going to experience the joy of your salvation. You're going to be robbed of a lot. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. By the way, if you've never read The Screwtape Letters, you've got to get it. It's, a, it's an easy read. It's a great book that describes the uh, activities of Satan in a story form. Um, somewhat entertaining, but even more so, it's very true about the way Satan operates. He does a great job. He said this, C.S. Lewis said this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and the demons, that is. They hail a materialist, that's one who doesn't believe or ignores, and a magician, Someone that's totally fixated on this, that, that, that realm with the same delight. We want to be realistic about who Satan is and how he operates and be on guard. Here's his rattle. If it's not in line with what the Bible says, then it is not of God. If it is not in line with the Bible, then it is not of God. It's very simple. That's, that's the guideline for you. That, that's how you know the rattle. Okay? As soon as it's outside of what the Word of God says, you know that something is wrong. And so what do we do with that? 1 Peter 5, 9 says, Resist him, 
standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. This, this second R, if you will, is the response of believers. It says, resist him. There's an activity to that. We have to resist, but we need to be careful here because you may think you're resisting him, but you may be playing right into his hands. Remember that he's the greatest liar on the planet and you can't do it on your own. It's not of your own strength. It's not of your own righteousness. It's not of your own abilities in any way, shape or form to handle his attacks. I counseled a couple at a, a, a church previous to this church years and years ago. And they told me it was a man and a woman and they were both married to somebody else. And they were leaving their spouses and their families to get married. And they came to me to talk about it. I mentioned to them that that might be somewhat outside of the guidelines of what the Bible teaches. They looked me in the eye and said, oh, no, no. We've prayed about it. We've prayed and prayed, and we're sure God wants us to do this. And they did. That's hogwash. No prayer that's outside the, the word of God is a prayer that comes from the Holy Spirit. I'm, i got to believe Satan and his minions were just roaring in laughter when this couple sitting there looking me in the eye. Oh, we've prayed about it. Two families destroyed. We don't resist out of our own. We must resist the way Jesus did. Matthew 4, verse 1 said, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We have to resist him. And we do that with the word of God. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not of flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you have done everything to stand. You can stand your ground with the armor of God. It's not a passive behavior. It's very much a proactive behavior. We put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's all the scriptures he uses after that, uh, that passage I just read. There's something very proactive about the, the, the response of believers in these situations. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I know over the next couple of weeks, Pastor Rick is going to bring us back to chapter 4 and really drill down on this. And so we're going to see a lot more of this. But let me say this application for you. Stand strong in the Word of God. Stand strong in the Word of God. That's it. You could add something right after that sentence. You can make that period of comment and say, and together with the body of believers. 
because I do think there's something special that happens when the body of believers gather together. This for Satan is a no-fly zone. This room right here, a no-fly zone for that guy. He doesn't get this place. Not when the body of believers comes together and worships in spirit and in truth. That's why I believe in small groups so much. That the body that comes together, that we're there to support and encourage and walk with one another. But the centerpiece, don't misread me, is standing strong in the word of God. 1 Peter 5, 10 and 11. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. This speaks to the righteousness of God. Because of his grace, we are saved. Because of his grace, we are going to glory. See what it says up there? And the God of all grace who called you to eternal glory. We're saved by grace. We're going to glory by grace. And we can resist the evil one by the grace of God, his power in us. If it begins with God's grace, it leads to his glory. Don't miss that. But Peter doesn't stop there. He takes time to deal with the reality of life. In verse 11 there, he talks about uh, our suffering. In Romans 8.18, it said, Paul said this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Because of his grace, we are saved. Because of his grace, we're going to glory. Because of his grace, our suffering is only temporary. And because of his grace, our suffering builds character. God uses even our suffering for his glory. That great word restore where it says he will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. In Matthew chapter 4, that word restore is a word that's used to say mending nets. God's mending the net of our lives through our trials here on planet earth for his glory. Listen closely to me. The victory is already ours. He's a liar and he's trying to convince you of the opposite. That's his goal. He wants to steal the joy of your salvation. He'd love to make your life miserable, but he can't. If you believe. 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5 said, For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Because of the righteousness of God, by the God of grace, we have the victory in Jesus Christ. He really is defeated. If you will stand strong in your faith. And he works his way into our minds and into our doubts and uh, into our emotions. Don't get me wrong. We all struggle with that. I'm not saying it's something that happens perfectly. But I believe we can do it. Our application to this is simply this. Give glory to the God of grace. Give glory to the God of grace. Which brings us to our fourth, fourth R. His reason for writing as he closes out his letter. It says, With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She, 
that is the Christian church, who is in Babylon, that's an euphemism for, the, for Rome, the church in Rome, chosen together with you, sends you their greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Peter closes with this, just this word of encouragement. He just wants to say to them, you can do it. You can do it. By the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, you can get there. First Thessalonians 3, chapter, uh, verses 2 and 3 said, We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Most of the epistles are ended in that same way. It's this word of encouragement. He, he wants you to know that you're not alone, that the God of grace is with you, and you can do it. Some of you are going, Bobby, I stumbled and fallen so many times, I don't know what to do anymore. Some of you are going, I'm, I'm down right now. I'm miserable right now. Listen, you want to know what to do? Confess it. Get up. Adjust your armor. Maybe have a couple of your good Christian buddies. Make sure that armor's all in place. And you get my metaphor. And stand. Stand. In the word of God. Peter finishes with this little, this little encouragement and what he wants to say. What he, our, the application for us is simply this. Give encouragement to one another and hope to the lost. Give encouragement to one another and hope to the lost. There is a lot of evil in this world. It's still there. But by the grace of God, there are a lot of great things going on in this world also. I want to tell you about a few of them. I started this telling you a pretty discouraging story about evil. You know, what do you do with those things? But let me just tell you about some things that are going on at Big Valley. I mean, I could talk about things going on around the world in the church or just in our city and probably be here for the rest of my life. But I want to tell you some, 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 another list, not the evil list. Did you know that over the last 25 years, and our church is older than that, but over the last 25 years, you, Big Valley have given $10.5 million to reach the loss and to encourage brothers and sisters around the world. $10.5 million. That's unbelievable. I mean it. That makes this a pretty happy day. On March 7th, 2003... 35 men and women gathered together and started a branch of the Celebrate Recovery Ministries at Big Valley Grace Community Church. Today, thousands, if not tens of thousands, have been helped as they've dealt with their addictions and their issues. I know I see lots of faces out here. You know exactly what I'm talking about because you're a part of Celebrate Recovery. You've been through this. Satan wanted to bring you down through addictions and through struggles. Thousands upon thousands have been helped. It's amazing. Hundreds have come to Christ. Do you know that there's 19,000 ministries like that around the world? And the one at Big Valley Grace Community Church is one of the 10 largest in the world? That's amazing that God is using the ministries of Big Valley like that. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. Three, 400 plus people a week 
including an amazing set of ministries for children's and teens. That makes me happy. Our Good Sand ministry has been around for 25 plus years. Hard to get the data going back that far. You know, I thought John would have everything back there, but he's like, yeah, I think it's been about 25 years. Today, we're serving about 200 families a month. But even more so, that, that building out in the back over there is like an, an evangelism machine. People are being saved every week. I know there's people in this room right now that have been through good Sam. Nothing to be ashamed of. Times got tough and they got some food and they heard the gospel. Oh, happy day. I could go on and on and talk about the good things that have been happening at Big Valley. But you have the victory. The victory comes by our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what makes this a happy day. We're going to close with a song. I bet you know which one it is. Stand up.